is for the passionate Seahawks fans. The ones who care about scheme more than hot takes. The, 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 the ones who want X's and O's and not talking heads. From the eye in the sky. This is Seattle Overload. Seattle Overload. With your hosts, Matty F. Brown, Griffin Sturgeon, and Ty Dane Gonzalez. Let's go. Welcome to the Seattle Overload podcast, where it's time for us to review the Seahawks 2022 defense and they did play a bit in 2023 but we're going to take a look back at what the Seahawks did well what they found success with using data maybe a bit of tape as well and we're also going to find and identify the areas that they need to improve Griff did this confirm your priors did what confirm my priors? That's a very open-ended This question. whole exercise. All oh, of it. All of, of it, our... Griffin. When you did a slightly oh. deeper dive rather than your superficial anecdotal observations right. from fast-forwarding right. through various... Yeah, when, when, you took, when you took a break from the QB discourse and you yeah, know, dived right. into the number, right. dove into the numbers, rather. Um, so, like, the, the, the exercise of preparing for this here podcast episode, did it confirm priors? Um, you know, it did. And and it was kind of the stuff that, not to not to pat myself on the back too much, um, but like it was really the same stuff we've been saying all year. We just have a full season's worth of a sample um, of like very clear cut, you know, correlations and and phases that the season went through. Um, you know, all in all, it felt like they made so much improvement in so many areas, even on the defense. A lot of things like unexpected things happened some expected things happened and then even some like unexpected things related to personnel decisions unexpected things related to results and then you know expected things related to results in both directions um but like yeah they made some interesting scheme choices this year while still like it's really important to i think to hammer home that they're still living in the same world that they were last year and it's possible to kind of live out of the same world so to speak schematic world and still live in different areas of your playbook within that world um, and, you know, uh, apply your calls accordingly and stuff. So I don't know. Yeah. But ultimately, ultimately, uh, yeah, I think it kind of, kind of just reaffirmed what we already know, but it really put it in a more clear way. How about you guys though? Well, it is nice having some shiny numbers to sort of, and you can sort of look at statistics and interpret them in the way you'd like. But I think these numbers do explain a lot of what we were sort of thinking and also help uh, help describe that in a better way. So that was useful. Also, there's some stuff that I didn't quite realise, but it's sort of helped me now identify as a problem. So excited to get to that. Um, Ty, what are you hoping to discover from this? Uh, I I want to confirm some priors tonight. Folks. Oh, excellent. so 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 help me do that. Yeah, I didn't do any research, just an FYI. So I, I let that you know, I I push those responsibilities onto you're, you as well. You're, 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 you're yeah, I'm producing. You're, I'm producing my socks off tonight. Yeah, this is MF socks off. Ty's too busy yeah. schmoozing with Mariners brass to. That's to, mm. exactly yeah yeah licking boots and, and, as uh, I always do yeah and Ty Keeling. Yeah, yeah, tequiling. Yeah, tequila. Yeah, yeah, tequila. Tequila. There we go. So yeah, help me, help me confirm my priors. Right, Seahawks defense bad. Okay. 
Well, it was quite bad. So the season-long statistics, in EPA per play, they were 26th. In success rate, they were ninth, which is a kind of an outlier. We, we can talk about that. Passing-wise, EPA-wise, they were 19th. Run defense, they were 26th. Success rate, uh, pass rate, they were 10th. And um, run-wise, they were 12th in success rate. Griff, why is the success rate better than the EPA, where the EPA is the bottom third or even worse, and the, the success rate is like the top third? I mean, like very, very broad view, superficially, it kind of screams an explosive play problem, right? Like they're kind of down to down, snap to snap, like they kind of have life. And then all of a sudden, just a horrendous either execution error or assignment error or a combination or like a collective error across different people or like being schematically unsound for something. And like maybe no one individual does something wrong per se. It's just... When everyone's stalemates and you're schematically sound, you can have good defense. But when everyone's stalemates and you're schematically unsound, that can be the difference maker. That could be a 60-yard run or like a scheme breaker, you know, pass concept downfield. So it really felt like a problem of, of explosive plays, really. Um, that's an oversimplification, but ultimately that's kind of, I think, what we identify. Like that was the problem this year in huge contrast to last year. Right. And kind of linked to that point, Griff, is – Stuff like they were eighth worst in the time they spent in each drive they were on the field. They defended the third most plays, but it was only the 14th most drives and uh, only 37.2% uh, of drives ended in the score, which placed 14th as well. So there's that kind of discrepancy between they're on the field quite a lot of the time, they're Third down percentage, for instance, is 42.3%, which is the sixth worst in the league. They're, uh, which, again, they're not getting off the field uh, and they're giving up the explosive. But so there's the, there's these numbers which kind of disagree with each other slightly. 59.6% in red zone rate, which is the ninth worst. 23.6 points per game allowed, which is not the best metric, but still eighth worst in that. And... Um, 37.2% of their drives ended in a score, which is only 14th. So, again, yeah. yeah, explosives were the issue. It'd be nice to have a full number of uh, of those, I imagine. But Yeah, and unfortunately, those aren't as available to us this year as they were last year. Right. Um, I don't understand that, but anyway. Yeah, un unfortunate stuff going down in the, in the biz, the data biz. <laughs> Anyhow. Anyway, um, so Pete Carroll Griff, he did a end of season press tour. He did a end of season press conference. He did end of season radio appearances, all these very exciting things. And in those appearances, he said what we'd kind of been saying in that he was talking about how it kind of went in waves on defense. So he said how we caught back up, then we kind of dipped back down, and then we caught back up again, and there was no consistency there. And they weren't complete in getting issues solved, and they could fix some problems because they're good at doing that, but they couldn't quite be complete at the line of scrimmage. And so we split it down into three kind of sections, didn't we? And yeah. I, I think the schematic <clears throat> sections are a real thing. And the data kind of shows that too, Griff. Yeah. Yeah, it does. I mean, so 
the the first the first five weeks of the season is is, is the the first you know distinct phase. Um, over, for that whole stretch, they were second to last, thirty first in total EPA per play, twenty third in success rate. Um, uh, against the pass EPA, twenty 32nd, success rate was 28th, uh, 25th in EPA per, per rush against the run, and then 17th in rush success rate. So, um, you know, all in all, it's it's they were just bad at, at, uh, at everything. Um, I think, you know, what, what, what do we want to unpack first? Do we want to talk about, like, the pass defense um, well, during that phase? Well, in the first phase? Well, like, how do we want to do? We want to talk like phase at a time, like why we. Yeah, think yeah, yeah. I think okay. that's I think that's useful because schematically in that first phase, they were trying to do the kind of Vic Fangio based defense, right? They hurt was doing um, Fangio techniques in the base fronts. Hurt was doing trying to hold a too high shell at most of the time and there was the games where they just couldn't stop the run even when they were in fronts which should have been able to and it was largely attributed to technique right so i guess run defense is the is the first area to take that yeah I, yeah i'd say so because like you said they they started off playing more tight as opposed to bear type being like four I zero four I techniques instead of three zero three techniques where the, 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 the tackle or the, the defensive ends technically, but in practice, they're a defensive tackle. They're not, an, they're not an end in the traditional sense. They're playing inside shoulder of the, um, of the offensive tackle as opposed to the outside shoulder of the guard. And then, but then perhaps more importantly, they're playing with like almost like a frog squat. So their, their feet aren't staggered and that lends itself, Maddie, as you've talked about toward like mirror stepping, like a more two gap technique, even though you're not like, you're not actually two gap responsible. You're playing with the two gap technique. To, uh, so you're engaging the block a certain way. Um, whereas when they play bear, which is three techniques as opposed to tight, which is four I, they play bear, they're a staggered stance, then they can power step, and they just their first step is upfield into the block, control the block, and then work to your, you know, half man, and then you can disengage the block. Um, now that said, they were still for the most part over that whole sample in tight, they were still okay. They just weren't as good as they were last year in bear. So, like bear and tight are both, you know, three, four fronts, odd space, whatever. They were like they were average in tight compared to other teams in odd space. But it still wasn't – the returns were still not as good as they were last year. Um, and then we'll talk about it in the next phase. But like week six, they revert to bear. They go out of tight. They go back to bear. They play the techniques their guys are used to and what the coaches are have the most familiarity coaching, at least recently anyway. And like the numbers are s staggeringly better. Like you go from average to like top five in it. But so their numbers in tight the first five weeks, odd space, three, four, whatever – were average, but then their numbers when they played their two four five defense with the, which is like an over front, but the nose tackle instead of being in a one technique is in a two I. So you call that the nose is in a G. So they call it over G. Um, in that they were giving up like five and a half yards per carry, one of the worst run defenses in the league, and they're just getting pummeled. And the numbers reflect that. So like the reason why is well, if they're average and tight, but then they're below average and in over G then why why is their overall numbers 
so dang low. And it's, well, it's because they're spending a lot more time in the two, four, five. Now they, they spent like 40% of their time, those first five weeks, that first phase in, in tight on early downs, but that's still, that's still about 10% less than they did last year for the whole season. So really it's just a numbers game. They're, they're choosing to play this over G front and nickel over bare nickel or tight nickel. They call it penny or at least Fangio does. Um, and it's really just a matter of not optimizing themselves correctly. Right. And Pete Carroll, as we sort of enter into the second phase and that technique adjustment where they played it as they had done in the past, away from the kind of Fangio stuff that, you know, Sean Desai would have uh, probably had an influence on and more into being a, more uh, power stepping, a bit more playing one high, uh, a bit more of a, just a commitment to stopping the run. Um, Pete Carroll, he goes, uh, one of the adjustments we made during the early part of the season when we were struggling a little bit really helped us and we got our guys a little more active and he saw us take about a four or five week turn right in there, you know, which is this period we're talking about. And so we have to recapture that so our guys can do it. Um, and that was when he was talking about being dynamic up front at the end of the season. So that that's a key point for him. So it's it's kind of weird that then, um, you know, from that second phase, they kind of stuck back. Like, for instance, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers game. I I go there all, all the way to Germany. I ask people how about the bare front, get a cool answer. Um, it's pretty apparent that they've changed how they're playing it. You think, okay, Tampa Bay, it's probably a good game to run a lot of bare fronts. Then, and it's easy to fixate on certain decisions, but this seems like a real uh, crucial point in the season for kind of highlighting their overall philosophy. Brian Monet at defensive tackles left inactive. And then they run mainly over G fronts. And it's interesting how that works. But um, the reason Pete Howell described for that when, when I asked him about it afterwards was he said it, um, the struggles with the four-man front and fitting the run that they had just he, he said, yeah, it's just different from when we play our five-man front. It calls for a bit of a different approach and the different coverages and the additional force players come from different angles, different spots. We are more oriented to rushing the passer. We have to do a good job to fit them up. We're having really good success in the five-man fronts in general, but when teams throw the ball a lot, we'd rather be in the pass rush mode when we can. So that's why it's pretty understandable of how that works and if it fits our personnel to do so. And like no. that, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Well, that's kind of the whole issue. Basically, they they chose the over G approach largely because they wanted to have a better four man pass rush, and they felt, th and they planned also, I think, to run more two high pass coverages. And Pete Cowell afterwards in in his end of season stuff, he admits that they got the balance wrong. And they made too many concessions to uh, playing pass, and that just the blend was off. Yeah, yeah, and like, like Pete, like what you just quoted, Pete saying, like he kind of revealed the whole theory. It's like we're trying to accentuate the pass rush to benefit the coverage, and and if if you can defend the run 
from too high and playing a pass rush oriented front or at least a balanced front then you know you you've struck a gold because you don't have you don't have a weakness but if your run defense is so poor then in it then well you've got a weakness likewise like the reason why odd fronts exist well they exist for a variety of reasons but it makes it easier to defend the run while being outgapped in the box when you have when you have two deep safeties but then naturally the the disadvantage is well your pass rush isn't as good so are you undoing the advantages you have in coverage by your pass rush by virtue of your pass rush being so poor so then the flip side of it is well can you can you generate a four-man rush um, in in an odd front or a three-four front. If you can do that, then great. And then you can defend the run, have a pass rush, and play all the coverages you want. Um, so it's there. There, there's a balance there. But I feel like that Bucks game is such a microcosm of their entire season in this over G front that we keep talking about. Because, um, and it, this especially relates to the whole like, well, do they have enough talent question? When they were. The, the Bucks leading up to that game, they really only have two main runs. It's duo and inside zone. And they do the occasional changeup. So they're thinking, all right, we can probably handle that in our over G front because we've been playing really good ball in general and the Bucks have a simple run scheme. Sure enough, Byron Leftwich throws out a one-time game plan that he didn't do for the following season. He throws out a bunch of like shotgun power counter trap runs, under center power trap, you know, uh, gap runs like or encounter and power and just all this stuff that he normally doesn't do and they get shredded but if you look at their numbers in that game against the stuff that the bucks had been doing leading up to that game duo inside zone they were holding them to like i think it totaled like 2.1 yards per carry in it so even in this over g front that we're talking about against run scheme that they are schematically sound for what that scheme is intended for they had the personnel to stand up and beat it, play their technique, play their rule, and beat it. It was all the stuff that breaks their scheme that they defended horribly in. And I feel like that speaks to the whole, the overall picture. What they're sound for, even in Bear, because they had some issues in Bear this year that we'll talk talk about if there's time. But even in Over G, like, they defend what they're sound for. For the whole season... They defended in this over G front for the whole season, weeks one through 18. They defended zone at a league average rate. So that right there tells you that they actually, even in this front, and, and that gave me pause when I looked at that number because I thought, well, it might be because I was critical of, of what I thought were like coaching issues, like details within it as well. Like, can they not coach this to them as well? But against the stuff that the scheme is meant for, they actually did okay. Not as well as they did in the other one, but if they could do just average in that front and play all the coverages they want, they probably would be a complete defense this past year. Um, so, but then against, you know, gap scheme counter runs are giving up like six and a half yards per carry. It's, it's horrendous. So then the question is they're using too much of this. They're using it against teams that are, um, that will, you know, go into under center in 11 and they're a, and again, seems they know that going to under center and they're still in this front. They're not reverting to their nickel bear. So the, the biggest discrepancy here, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but when from week six on, when they reverted to bear out of tight into bear, from week six on, their run defense and, and bear nickel is ranked like ninth. Their pass defense is ranked 10th. And over G from week six through 18, 
which is in their other nickel package. How they play 11 personnel is, a, is the, the thing here. So 11 personnel, bare nickel, 10th run defense, or 9th run defense, 10th pass defense, and over G against 11 personnel um, in nickel. They are like 26th run defense, but 5th pass defense. So actually really good pass defense, but the trade-off is not working for them in the aggregate. And then like what, how, uh, go ahead. Well, just just on a similar subject as well, like their reason for the over G being the pass rush is evidenced in the numbers in that their overall pressure percentage out of the like two, four, five is 19th best in the NFL. And there is a bit of a situational thing here because they wouldn't play uh, as much three, three, five. But their overall three, three, five pressure percentage is 29th in the NFL. So, yeah. And then if you go to rush four, there's a similar thing of two, four, five being a better pressure percentage in NFL ranking and also just actual overall percentage than the three, three, five nickel bear. So in that sense, they were justified uh, in, in what they did. They also had higher sack percentages in over G nickel than uh, nickel bear. It's just the the concessions towards that and, and then the run issues, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so like ultimately like, all right, so, Week six eighteen. How much did they use against eleven personnel? How much did they use their bare nickel package? They compared to last year. Last year against eleven personnel, they used bare nickel forty three percent of the time. This year against eleven personnel, week six eighteen, they used bare nickel twenty three percent of the time. So they just completely like they cut it in half. Really, it's it's no longer their their uh, their, ident their identity. Um, so it's it. The the main question they're going to have this offseason really is how how do they go about how do they go about applying their nickel packages? Um, is it a matter of do they beef up their over G kind of world with more fire zones and more schemed actions to, to shore up some of the run defense issues? Or is it a matter of just simply living and using nickel bear more and using less? over g i mean that will be the big question or will it be a balance of the two or will we see both of it um yeah and pete said uh on a question about two outside linebacker types leading to too few run stoppers in the defensive line and just two defensive linemen so that two four look basically he said yeah we'll commit a little bit differently than we did we're going to be committed a little bit differently than we did this year to make sure we solidify that, um, but he didn't really expand on that. But that may suggest more of three, three, five bear. And the the other thing he said was he's diving in as deep as he can dive on this thing to make sure the defense is our defense. So that reading in between the lines is kind of a they tried some of the Fangio techniques which weren't really fitting their players, but now they're kind of gonna blend it a bit better than i think they did uh he again mentioned concessions in that answer and there was another thing he mentioned about um yeah we went to more coverage stuff this year we really expanded what we we're doing coverage wise and it helped us and allowed us to have a good pass rush this year over the course of a season because we covered guys really well and those guys kept bringing it and the combination of that worked well we just didn't tie it together with the running game like we need to do and that so that's where the focus will go which is right. kind of the essence of it is sort of what we are saying in a different way now that's the that that's the run defense dealt with what they did do Griff, rather than 
And they were, as you've just illustrated, they were largely an over G two four five team against eleven personnel, one running back, one tight end, which is what the vast majority of the league runs. But what they did do, and we can kind of get into the reasons for that, is in the the third stage, kind of, are we calling that week six to week nine? I thought that was second stage. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. The third stage being week 10 to week 18. Are we saying it's that? Yeah. Yeah. They kind of went to a very watered down version of if the Seahawks started running bare front as their like base approach from 2020 and 2021 with Ken Norton Jr. Before that, in uh, like 2012 to 2019, their base approach was under weak rotated cover three with a bit of over uh, strong rotated cover three. And what we saw from Seattle is rather than relying on the bare fronts, which had proved so successful from uh, week six to week nine, when they actually used them and the kind of technique tweak from the tight Fangio approach, they went to the kind of a very watered down, pretty obvious that it was like an emergency measure because of the lack of wrinkles off it. Like it, there wasn't the usual tweaks that it had, there had been in the past on these looks, but they went to under weak rotated cover three with a bit of over strong rotated cover three as their base approach to stop the run. Now, why was that? Do you, do you think that was just because they, they hadn't planned to run bare in the way that they ended up doing it. They'd planned to run tight stuff and they had to scrap that. Um, I, I just don't get why they didn't have more tools in their bear package rather than having to just go to shade three tech five tech. I, I don't, I don't know. And like, you can only I think you can only infer and guess really because the, so in, in their over G stuff, like the run defense was so horrid in too high, especially paired with it, that the solution was, all right, we just need to roll that safety down. But the problem is that just the amount of stuff that they have is too extensive or isn't extensive enough in one high uh, nickel over. So like the amount of stuff that they could do was really limited because they felt like they had to do this in order to even be competitive against the run. Now, they, again, they did have some games of mild improvement there. Um, but uh, it, it, it it's... I feel like they backed themselves into a corner because they had spent so much time installing and repping nickel over that the only like they didn't essentially have the time in their bear world to, to install like the, the full breadth of calls to use it more. So they just had to revert to like, all right, well, what's the most sound thing on paper we have for everything. It's gapped out one high defense. And you're just, and the only way we can really live in that world is with our over G front. So now we just need to rep technique and just like, that's it. We're not going to be interesting at all schematically. But that was a reaction to the run defense being so poor in it. And the fact that they put all their, their eggs in that one, that one or eggs in that one basket. So they couldn't revert to, I think, bear the way that they would have last year. Because like, we didn't see any of these fire zone calls. There weren't a lot of calls off of it. They kind of just did. The same two or three things but i think wanting to split their time so evenly between well not even evenly but wanting to split their time so much between bear and even left each one each respective front uh the menu of calls they're in smaller 
so they, they each one didn't have a lot of stuff to to call with it basically um so that meant when it meant reverting or trying to fix their issues it just meant reverting to being super sound and uninteresting and just playing one high defense really like load the box up defend the run and hopefully our guys can take care of you know play action pass and all that stuff mm. um and, and and after the the kansas city game where seattle actually had a rare game of fitting the run well from their forefront uh i asked pete carroll about why the improvements in the forefront run defense had happened was it you know changes in scheme or if the players were more familiar with the defense uh, he said he'd like to talk to me about that off camera, which uh, come back to me, Pete. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. uh, he said it's not as simple as we went to more single high stuff, which obviously does help, right? Like that was a big factor. But he said it was about playing blocks, disengaging, fitting together, falling back like you need to, and the connection, which seemed really clear on that day. But that connection was lacking, which it, you know, raised issues with like we pointed towards, uh, and we should probably mention coaches. We pointed towards the fact that Damian Lewis was in his third year as an NFL coach, third year as a coach in general, I think, former player. And yeah, he'd worked as an assistant under Clint Hurt, but now Clint Hurt goes and he's the defensive coordinator. You then lose him coaching the the D line every day in, day out, working with them day in, day out. You have Lewis doing it. I'm sure Lewis is very capable, but it's his first year as the whole interior defensive line coach and i'm i'm sure you know there's a learning period there and perhaps that is part of the reason they suffered we should also talk about um the fact that sean desai in chicago griff ran these two, two four five fronts all the time like it was his thing so you have to kind of ask given that last year seattle was largely their front team hurt was on the staff obviously ken norton jr is a big fan of them but, you know, Hurt was on board with that and they had multiplicity in those calls. They had a bit of um, nickel as well, obviously, uh, nickel four down, but it was mainly bare stuff. Um, you have to wonder how much Desai had to say. The associate head coach is now seemingly interviewing for any vacant defense coordinator position. But uh, you have to wonder how much of a say he had in the, the 245 approach this year. Yeah, I mean, ultimately it falls at the feet of Clint hurt being the dc and pete carroll being the head coach right but that doesn't mean like we can still isolate whose idea it was um and i mean like point blank it, it's it was sean Desai's idea now clint might have agreed with him 100 like oh yeah that's great let's do it so you know I, i'm all for holding like accountable is a strong word I'm all, I'm all for holding all of them accountable but i do think we can use use the, the the venn diagram or the common denominator approach to to isolate like who who brought this over and i think think it was uh, uh sean desai and it did not work for them uh, last year so how did it work in chicago oh yeah it did not work for chicago in 2021 i mean they're giving up like five and a half yards per carrier eerily similar to seattle um uh so <laughs> I, I don't i don't like when, when we were watching them in preseason we kind of observed the same thing but we thought well it's just preseason. then we also I, I legit thought they were doing stuff like like that they weren't trying to do like i i thought they were like, like it was the thing uh, well no i thought they were like jimmy and ponying like like two gapping half the front because um because otherwise what they were doing looked so bad right. that I didn't and, have an explanation for it. And it was and, such a regression from the same players who last year 
whatever the front, they were really, really good technique wise. Right. And like this, like you said, the same players. And then, and then even further, we were like, well, even if this is kind of like they switch things around more, mm. we're like, they're going to have more calls coming. Right. But it was literally, right. they transfer their preseason game plan, like different formations, personnel packages. They matched them the same way. Yeah. And it was like, week. it was like, um, they'd have two high safeties you'd have uh, an open an open gap, right? They're outgapped in the box. And you'd be like, okay, well, it's the preseason, so they would probably game plan to stunt the front here to make this work, or they'd have the safety not be a backup, so he would actually trigger more aggressively when he sees the ball handed off, and you'd fit that better. But no, come the real season, they were still really bad, and there was situational calls which didn't really make sense uh, where, you know, you, you show a light box and you get run on in like a third and short situation. And to be honest, like that continued throughout the year, even though they watered yeah. it down and it ended up with the most basic, basic defense I've seen from Pete Carroll. But yeah. um, even, even though that happened, there was still stuff where you're like, the Rams are in 11 personnel under center and it's 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 a run down. Why are you playing this front? You're like asking. And, and they they use that one receiver like a tight end anyway. So it's effectively right, 12 right. It's twelve. Yeah. Aligned the like splits, 12. like everything. It's horrific. All right. So he, he, here's here's just one big discrepancy. Now it's not all front related, of course, but like it paints a picture. So week six through nine, they use bear fifty three percent of the time on early downs. They're ranked second in or first against the run in EPA. Then weeks 10 through 18, they dropped that all the way down to 20%. They're using Bear now 20% early downs, and their run defense totals 30 seconds. So they literally go from first to worst, and they literally invert the amount of, you know, their their Bear usage and over G usage. They invert that. They flop it. And then the run defense results also flops. Now, it's not all 100% attributable to that, but that's where you start. Um, and it's just, uh, like, you know, the, the, the Panthers game, they're defending the run well on early downs in the first half. They're playing five man over under and bear. And then the second half, they abandon that and they're playing their over G front against 11 personnel, you know, under center, or, you know, they're getting gap scheme runs and they don't change in the drive and they're just getting gashed. And it's just 100% leaving the players out to dry. Now, they did lose Al Woods. That mattered absolutely because LJ Collier is playing three technique, you know, in that front against under center, and he can't do that. So, like, that's that's a problem. Um, but so it's just, I mean, they got to they have got to find a way to be the the team that they want to be schematically. I, I, well, I found it really interesting when Pete Cowell was asked about Clint Hurt after he like praised him for how well he managed it and. And he mentioned all of the cooks, and we, we've sort of wondered if there was too many cooks in the defense kitchen with Sean Desai, Carl Scott, uh, John Glenn from the previous system. And obviously Pete has a say on defense as well. But after he mentioned all that, he, he said, maybe we have shot a little too high. Um, we might have done that. And, um, you know, in what we we're trying to do, and he took responsibility for that because um, he chose that he let them go that way he said and yeah. uh we needed to zero in be better fundamentally up front to move forward um and so like w when you say be better fundamentally up front is he talking about players or like how they set their their scheme 
because I think it's I think it's I think it goes hand in hand, right? Um, right. Yeah. Like because, it, everyone right. would love. Uh, Pete said, like he he said something along the lines of one one time this season about how like yeah, it's great when someone gets into the back, beats a block. Like every defense looks great when someone beats a block into the backfield and makes tackle for loss. And like yeah, you can get that from the draft, but like ultimately as coaches. Uh, at the NFL level, you're not going to be able to get a player. Um, you're not going to be able to coach a player up to do that all the time. Like no right. player, and, and and Aaron Donald is Aaron Donald. Like he's one of one. Yeah, you can get disruptive guys, but that's not the coach's job anyway. Uh, and yeah, you can improve people, but really, they got the the blend and the focus uh, completely wrong. And and yeah. I think that I think this off season they're they're going to really change it. Um, but like for Pete's comments are really. They're very candid and kind of just admitting what we, we saw, but um, yeah, we're like so, like the word like we got to get better fundamentally up front. He he can't be referring to Barrett because when they're when they're in Barrett, they're good. Like what what is there to critique? I mean, maybe a game here and there. Sure, of course. Instead of being tenth, you'd like to be first. So yeah, you could get better. But when he when he emphasizes, we want to get better fundamentally. Does that suggest they want to continue to use over G the way they're using it, or not, or not lessen its use too much and then get better fundamentally there? Like I don't, I don't know. Or maybe it's just him saying like fundamentally is a catch-all term for like yeah we got to get our calls out the right time we got to play better you know we got to get better players. Regardless, with the scheme with it was applied the way it was applied this past year, it doesn't matter if you draft Jalen Carter. You're talking about going from. 29th run defense on the year to what 22nd 23rd it doesn't matter you you, no. you gotta it, it's i mean like the, the 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 talent ceiling is lacking a blue chipper or two absolutely but the talent floor is more than enough to be significantly better than their year-long results against the run i mean if anything like that middle of the season stretch kind of proves it they're they're, they're season-long numbers even in bear even when they had worse stretches you know it proves it like they're giving up three to 3.7 yards per carry they're ranked ninth you know against other teams that play odd and there's a lot of teams that play odd fronts bear or tight or legit four zero four which no one really runs anyway it's all bear and tight these days so like i don't know um it's it's like jalen carter or will anderson or you know um the Siaka or Mozzie Smith, whatever, whoever your guys are in the draft at each round, they don't matter. They're not going to matter if they don't fix, figure this out now. But the cause for hope though, is that like Clint hurt was on the staff where they had the answers for all these types of runs. That hurt. That's what's super weird. So like, but it's, I, it makes it equally frustrating, but it's also the same reason for why we should be hopeful. It's like, well, all right, we'll just go back. What's worked in the past. Like all coaches do that. Pete Carroll knows it. Like that's why they made this shift in the middle of the season because they reverted back to what they know works, you know. And yeah, that and a positive. I guess a positive finish on is the coverage improvements in terms of their, like their efficiency, right? And, right, absolutely. And like so, the issue with Bear in an oversimplification was that last year they didn't quite have the pass rush. They coverage tended to get drained out when when they eliminated the explosives and cleaned it up towards the back end of 2021 and what would happen is the ball would get checked down they'd they'd drop to a, a deep hook spots in their zones 
and then the takedown would pick up yards. And so what happened was teams would drive the ball on Seattle. However, when it came to the red zone where things are more congested, everything speeds up slightly. Seattle managed to get off the field a lot of the time, hence their points per drive. Griff, do you agree on that? I totally agree. I mean, like, I, I agree with the general no notion that points per drive is not the truest measure, especially like, you know, you look at Seattle, they had the best starting field position last year. But, but it's like you said, they gave up the fifth fewest explosive passes last year they gave up the second fewest targets to the intermediate yard bracket 10 to 20 yards the only like or if you want to look at it, all depths they gave up um like they were 12th in epa per target against receivers and then for week six in tight ends the week six on they were like seventh so like they defended the second and third levels very well they were very sound and the only thing they could get on them was stretching the defense out hitting that check down or hitting the screen like you said and by virtue of lack of pass rush, the proximity to that that target that we just said was greater. Therefore, those yards went for, or those receptions went for longer yards. When you're on a short field, like you said, you can't stretch the defense out. And that's why their numbers are good everywhere. They defend running backs in the red zone well last year as well. So to me, their red zone results was a pure, like follows directly from their open field results. Um, and that's why I think like their points per drive figure was legit. Um, so, but this like, so yeah, like last year, their, their Achilles heel was pass rush. They had a bottom five pass rush overall. If they were even average, they might've been a top 10 defense by all measures last mm. year. Um, now that's conjecture, but I feel like you can make an argument for it. So this year, that's that, kind of a ghost. That context is, them, right? Right. And that context is super important, right? Like you, that's probably why like you sort of have to guess like there's a lot of reasons why Clint Hurt would have been promoted like it's a young team they were somewhat in a transition year Ken Norton Jr. may have had a reluctance to play young guys there's other things there but also Ken probably saw no reason to deviate from bare fronts whereas Clint Hurt was probably very open to a brave new world where and where they probably took you know they, they did take it too far and they they went to this overgee approach that um was there were too many concessions to the past. Um, they went to uh, so many um, too high looks to start the season off and got run on pretty badly. They didn't quite have the situational calls to stop the run that they needed and their execution and fundamentals up front in stopping the run were very poor as well. However, the the not only was the pass rush improved uh, from that, and it still wasn't great. Like their 31.9% pressure percentage was overall was 21st in the NFL, which is not like... <laughs> it's not what you want and speaks maybe more to a lack of talent. But a big thing for me in the like pressure percentage, sack percentage numbers is the fact that their overall pressure percentage was 21st in the NFL. Their rush four pressure percentage was 16th in the NFL. But their overall sack, sack percentage was ninth best in the NFL. And their overall rush four sack percentage was fifth in the NFL, which to me suggests that they're covering tightly down the field. And so the pass rush is then, even if they're not getting a pressure necessarily, they're able to clean up a bit more than, uh, you know, they're able to clean up from, from coverage downfield. And the fact that Seattle this year, the big thing that they did was rather than running cover three where they pattern match, they dropped to a spot and they pattern match certain routes. And each week they go in with a game plan of this is what this team runs. And we're going to have the weak hook having issues. We're going to have the strong hook have issues. Issues being things which turn their their 
their spot drop into a matching down the field coverage. We're going to have the uh, curl flat defender have issues he has to be aware of to then turn into a more match-like player. Rather than that, Seattle played in Fangio's style of uh, matching cover three, which is very similar to Nick Saban's Rip-Liz uh, match cover three. Yeah. And that and, and, meant they covered and... the check down uh, tighter. Uh, there also wasn't the issue of um, in bear because you're rushing four and it's coming from one side. Uh, there are certain times where the flat gets drained out even quicker than it would in, in the four-man front. So, Right. Right. And like also, let's not forget, like, as far as it coming from the Fangio tree, Carl Scott, you know, being the passing game defense coordinator and the DB coach. I mean, he has like Zimmer runs some three match. He was with Zimmer last year. And then he also, of course, comes from the Nick Saban tree. So like he also, you know, has familiarity like from the source as well. So um, with regards to three match. So, um, yeah, and I think like it's kind of ironic simply playing cover three kind of alleviated the way that they tweaked cover three alleviated like being able to defend all three levels of the field problem in the past despite the pass rush improvements not being there that they thought they were getting this year um at least for you know year one anyway with the the addition of mafe not quite showing any returns yet but some promise and then daryl taylor kind of regressing but then finding himself again um so I mean, yeah, there's there's a lot of reasons to hope. Um, do, do we want to kind of briefly go through like the story of the past defense though over the course of the season? Yeah, kind of talked. Yeah, we we we've sort of we've accidentally kind of touched on it because pass coverage influences well, kind of dictates your front um, to a degree, and vice versa. The the two go hand in hand. But yeah, go for it. All right, so the first five weeks, I mean, they were horrible against the passes. They were horrible against everything, but they were 32nd, 32nd EPA per pass, 28th in success rate. Um, and then that was then weeks six through nine, they're fifth uh, against the pass and EPA, second in success rate. And then weeks 10 through 18, even though they regressed against the run, they're still 10th against the pass and EPA and then 12th in success rate. So like that kind of the, the pass defense remaining steady, held on through the whole year, which is a really, really good sign with all the, you know, the young guys. And then, you know, like if we want to unpack why it regressed from fifth to 10th, well, Ryan Neal going in and out of the lineup didn't help. Um, and they just kind of had some injuries. And of course, you know, you lose um, uh, Jordan Brooks, that's not good. Um, so, so some of those things add up, right? But, you know, all in all, like from weeks if we bucket that those those last two phases together, week six through eighteen, I think they're like, I think they're seventh against the pass. Um, so I mean, they ended the year with a formidable pass defense. Um, that's that's really encouraging. But those first five weeks, the way I see it is that uh, they returned, or the guy, regardless if it was injury or a rostering decision they return only one of the seven guys or actually only one of the seven guys that got substantial snaps in the secondary in 2021 actually saw the field those first five weeks. So that was, that was Quandre Diggs. So Jamal's injury, Neil's injured. Trey Brown isn't part of the picture yet. Still isn't really. Um, Sidney Jones gets hurt. Artie Burns was a possibility who played really well, but he gets hurt uh, who played really well for the bears. That is, but then he gets hurt. 
And then they trade, they make a decision and they trade Ugo Amadi. And then not only do they trade Ugo Amadi, but they move Kobe Bryant to nickel like three weeks in the preseason. Tariq Woolen is considered, you know, the most tantalizing athlete to come out in a long time, but also like the rawest athlete to come out in a long time at corner. So huge question marks. And Mike Jackson is a journeyman, undrafted free agent, like going into his third year or something. So just huge turnover. So I think we just kind of attribute those first five weeks to just being, you know, a colossal mess of unintended players. And then the players that weren't unintended were super raw and inexperienced. Um, and, uh, you know, like Josh Jones comes in, he, he did well at the back end of, um, he did well on the back end of the, the last season, but he struggled. And obviously the Jamal Anderson's injury week one is, is a disaster because he would, he made, He's so good at fitting the run from too high, like coming down from the court and smacking uh, stuff up, running the alley. Yeah, he'd have been big for their uh, passing down game plan, but but you know his impacts felt on all three downs. Like people don't realize how good he was in twenty twenty one from too high looks. They think he didn't really do much because you don't see him because he's off the screen. But if you actually go back, like he's like perfect. Yeah, and like in in two high coverages as well, especially quarters. I think he's really. I think he has immaculate technique in quarters. Yes. I mean, here, 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 here's a here's a fun here's a fun stat for you. On off splits are tricky, right? But last mm-hmm. year in quarters, when Jamal Adams is on the field, they were sixth in yards per cover snap. When he was off the field, they were seventeenth. Um. And I don't think he gave up a single dig route all year long, like even a, a maybe like a couple of targets, and they were all all ended in the pass deflection, either his or the corners. So there's that for you. Um, we don't know if he'll be the same guy when he comes back. That said, unfortunately, mm, and the contract's yeah. looking iffy at this point, tragic all around. But so then week six, they are insanely good. And okay, is some of it. Is some of it opponent related? Is some of it luck? I mean, they're playing some formidable of it, teams. Some of it but... also stopping the run and getting into better passing down situations. Absolutely complimentary football. Regardless, however, people want to view like how good they really were. The point is they were significantly, significantly better. And it was like intrinsic. It wasn't just conditional. It was like they were legit better. So I don't care however better you want to say, but we can all agree that I think that they did get better. Um and I don't like how do we what do we attribute that to like the the coverage usage didn't really change per se. Um, they just committed to the they committed to bear. I think it was because they were used to it all. Like they're just more comfortable in general, right? Um, Quandre Diggs got his foot. In. I mean, Quandre Diggs was kind of good the whole year. I think he just had some bad moments. Um, I think it was Ryan Neal getting into the lineup was was huge though, right? Yeah, uh, Neil. I, I uh, certain websites have Neil down as an All Pro this year, but he's not an All Pro. He, he got away with player. he got away with a lot of um, mistakes, which weren't punished as happens in football. But yeah, he uh, yeah no, he had a, he is a solid player, solid backup, someone you tender. Uh, might even be the starter, depending on Adams's recovery. Uh, heading into next season, but that did solidify stuff. Like I, I, I you know, I, I felt more positively about Jones than a lot of people because 
he was solid last year, but there was just too much going on, like the front stuff, which kind of broke him, and then just Neil coming in, along with the fact that the front played a bit more consistent for that week six stretch was was big. And then, yeah, and then I felt most of the issues were just run defense and then rookie errors, like either like, uh, this is such a generalization, it's becoming anecdotal. We've used enough data though. But like, uh, you know, Kobe Bryant missing tackles last week, last game. Uh, Tariq Woolen finally getting found out for looking in the backfield and playing more zone and just struggling, also being a bit banged up. Um, but really, yeah. like, Mike Jackson, unsung hero, because he rarely, rarely got roasted over the top. Uh, testament to Kyle Scott's coaching ability. Another guy who's a tender? I yeah, think so. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right, a, a camp battle with him and hopefully a fully recovered Trey Brown should be really exciting. Yeah. Because yeah. if if Mike locks it, if, if Trey is returns to the Trey that we kind of knew during last year, during that one month he played really well, and Mike Jackson still wins the job, like that's because because they'll have no problem uprooting Mike Jackson. No, I mean they had no problem moving on from Sidney Jones, who played the best football of his life to end twenty twenty one. So, yeah. You know? It's good competition there. And also, I think heading into, if you told me that Trey Brown hadn't played left cornerback for the Seahawks and Sidney Jones had gone, you'd think that left cornerback was a major need in the draft. But the fact that like, the coverage unit uh, in terms of the cornerback positions on the outside is, is solidified and Diggs is still Diggs, that's huge. And Neil gives you security against Jamal Adams, as, as uh, shaky as that situation looks. So the coverage unit looks all right. Uh, Kobe Bryant, it, I'm still, the jury's out, but Pete Carroll was so, so bullish on Yeah, on he's him. serious about Kobe. And like, like, I know there's um there's bigging up your guys, but he's he said to me when I was in Munich that he's going to be like one of the best nickels in the league. Like, so <laughs> we'll, we'll have to see that play out. It, there was just some rough periods of tackling in general, uh, I think tackling does deserve a mention because Pete said how they need to get back to playing rugby after the season sort of went off the rails. And there was that we spoke about on the podcast before, but there was an emphasis on punch tackling, which did result in uh, some takeaways, but takeaways are largely random. Uh, it, it, obviously, you can do things to accentuate them, but they come in uh, fits and starts. And Seattle began the year doing really well in takeaways. Obviously, Woolen had six interceptions as well, but they're... Pursuit angles in the open field and then wrap on tackles was really, really poor as the season progressed from yeah. a variety of players, not just Kobe Bryant. Um, but Seattle did finish um, with 25 takeaways, which was tied for eighth best in the NFL, which last year I think they were bottom or maybe second bottom. So that would have been a, a goal that Pete Carroll came into the season wanting to improve, and they did that. I think also... Uh, Uchenna Nwosi deserves a really, really strong praise. Like he, he played a lot of football. He he finished with a per Sports Info Solutions, which is where all the data we've used comes from. Um, fourteen point seven percent pressure percentage in the league, uh, fifty six pressures and a two point five percent sack percentage. That Nwosi figure, obviously, the big splashy free agent signing outside linebacker was Hassan Reddick. Reddick had a 14.9% pressure percentage, so just 0.2% better. Mm. He had a 4% sack percentage, uh, which is the difference. He also had 61 pressures, so slightly more. But, like, 
the the sack percentage thing, it's not that Nwosu can't finish, really. It's more that there wasn't necessarily the consistent interior rush that is needed. Uh, I'd need, I need to go and study what the Eagles do, but they, they run a, quite a bit of five down looks, which, again, is that extra body to then flush right. it out wide. But I don't, I don't think it's Nwosu not being able to finish around a corner or, 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 you know, have the bend to finish round round the arc to bring a quarterback down. Like I don't think there was many uh, missed sack opportunities from him. I, th- I think he was right. a really hard football player who who was a mid tier ad, and I think they hit on. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and he also had a career high in sacks too, uh, nine and a half. So that's that's good. Um, um, and yeah. then the the big factor. Uh, don't want to finish on a negative, but the big factor was in the season as well was maybe it was the scheme change. Uh, Bruce Irvin mentioned when he listens and doesn't talk all the time, something along those lines about Daryl Taylor, but Daryl Taylor was meant to be their blue chip rusher. Like he was meant to be the guy who plays opposite in Oosu, uh, and then Mafe can come in. Remember Bruce Irvin didn't even, he wasn't on the roster to start the season. Dow Taylor saw them sign. Uh, I that's so disrespectful. I can't remember. I'm blanking on the guy's name, but they signed a guy from Caroline who got cut, and he was oh, playing Darryl early down. Dow Johnson, thank you, because they yeah. didn't trust Taylor to set the edge. Uh, Bam Johnson, yeah. Uh, and Taylor finished the year strong. He finished the year with a great sack total, three point six percent sack percentage. Uh, but the fact he can get on the field until late in the year. That really harmed the defense. That harms the overall pass rush figures. He was meant to be there, like a blue chip player, and yeah, they, they were he wasn't even. They were expecting even, a big jump, right? And he wasn't happen. even mentioned by Pete Carroll in the end of season stuff. Carroll briefly praised uh, praised Nuosu, but mentioned they do need to get more dynamic players up front as well. So, like, yeah, like like right now headed into next year, Daryl Taylor. I think. I mean, you always hold that hope that. Right, he can be what you want him to be, but right now he's just like a solid depth pass rusher. Yeah, he needs to work out. He needs to work out football for all three downs. Or yeah, but yeah, and like he was good against the run last year. I mean, he was fine against the run in twenty twenty one. Like he was solid. Like when it just came to like setting an edge against the tackle, coming to come get him, he he was you know, yeah, he staked him. It was nothing crazy, but it was fine. But it was legit, you know like horrendous this year especially earlier on um so yeah uh so the other player who was impactful in the pass rush uh, was quinton jefferson he finished the year with a 10.8 percent pressure percentage and 35 pressures and a 1.7 percent sack percentage which comparing that to some names uh dexter lawrence had 14.5 percent pressure percentage which led defensive tackles Quinn and Williams, 12.5% pressure percentage, 47 pressures, but a 3.2% sack percentage. Chris Jones, 11.7% pressure percentage, 64 pressures, 2.8% sack percentage. And DeForest Buckner, 11.2% pressure percentage, 52 pressures, 1.7% sack percentage. So Jefferson kind of did what he does, which is he gets high pressure numbers and that will see him probably keep around the league for a bit longer, right? Like... Yeah, the, I mean, mm. uh, but he, he was ranked like top 10. And I mean, I don't think right. he's one of the 10 best interior pass rushers, but it just kind of proves the point. Like he he gets pressure, um, you know, uh, even though like it wasn't what they needed and pressure charting can be wonky. 
think Seattle actually had like the fourth highest interior pressure rate from interior techniques alignments in the entire Al, league. Our Woods had a uh, 7.7%, although it was only 11 pressures. That's right, an elite yeah. pass rusher, Al Woods, to you. Shelby Harris, I think he was like fourth among those 20 pressures. Oh, there See, you go. And, and also, I thought Shelby, uh, he popped way more on tape to me than that in the figure. I Puna don't know Ford, why. 6.3%, 18 pressures. Um, it, and it was more of an ensemble thing. Like, I was mm. probably like when Shelby's getting pressure, when Shelby isn't getting pressure, Puna is, and Puna isn't Jefferson, like like that type of thing. Yeah. Um, and, um, like, and they still need a th- they still need a blue chip inside. Well, but... what with Jefferson, like, I wouldn't be surprised. That pressure percentage probably sees him stick, but they might move on because against the run, he was really bad. Uh, yeah. And he, I, I, from what I understand, he was the defensive line. There's quite a few of them who sort of spoke up about how they wanted to play the different techniques, not all this mirror stepping passive stuff, more penetrating up front. Hence the change to bear that we spoke about in the run fits and the kind of old system. But even when they go to the over G look, like, and he they, can't handle it. He just couldn't do it, which which it does require mass, but like, uh, so, and it so, is kind of even as a three take. You're playing heavy, but again, if the one thing which doesn't make sense to me still is like in the past when they ran nickel with an over front and they're playing cover three sky, which is basically what they did this year. They played a one tech nose tackle, but they always played a two eye nose tackle this year, and it meant that. They were much, and if, it meant the three tech had to play more heavy, and it means that you basically are one and a half gapping on the interior, and it muddies the things up for the inside linebackers behind. Everyone plays less certain and more cloudy, and it, it's just a bit weird. And they just weren't very good at it either. But that said, a lot of the league does it. I think they view it as a way to stop wide zone. But I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean the numbers so, the numbers kind of are there that it is just the gap stuff was the issue primarily but then also it felt like like duo could Not have been really. better though like like yeah, like duo sure. like it's it was like a, a well defended duo run and their over G front went for like three and four yards when it felt like it should have been going for one and two like 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 that kind of stuff um yeah the opportunity was there if they played the way if they played you know more more of a one technique, less of a two eye, and the linebackers just had their block to worry about and their gap, and they're not fitting off what the tackle's doing. They're just punching gaps and they're bringing the ball carrier down. Like, um, it's frustrating. Um, yeah, with, with with Jefferson, it's like I think you can accommodate Jefferson just fine if the guy, the other guy on the second string, is an LJ Collier. If LJ Collier can be someone more formidable, like their usual, like. Taba Rubin, Tony McDaniel, you know, like like that kind of guy. Granted, that's what Al Woods is. That's what Shelby Harris is. Even better, I'd argue, than those two. That's what you it, thought Monet was before his injury, right? And and, and Brian Monet. So they if they kind of it's kind of unfortunate how the dam broke the second one of these guys got hurt. But like Al Woods can moonlight as a three technique also, which is probably when Monet and and Woods were both active for a game. We didn't see much of LJ. The other Um, thing as well is like their interior defensive line was not it. They're much 
most of them are much better playing as a zero technique nose tackle in the bare front uh the nose tackle wise like monet is better at that woods is great at everything in terms of playing on the inside against the run mm-hmm. but like puna ford his his best football in seattle's come when he's head up on a center and Pete carroll said the same yeah. thing like he likes him there where he can use his quickness so it's yeah. like i don't know how much i'd love to know how on page was the front office with the fact that they weren't actually planning to run as much uh, right. three, four looking fronts as they did last year? Because right. the way they've rostered, they were planning, <laughs> they were planning for right. a lot of three, four. The fact that you know, if they were, the fact that they had to go out in in uh, and go and get some edge setting uh, defensive ends because um, who who could hold their own in like a forefront, right? Not just a, a three, four look like like a Bam Johnson um, and. I don't know. It it doesn't seem right. that there was much cohesion with the whole thing. The the, the thing and then the thing with Puna though is like with Monet's injury, and again we're gonna get into like roster construction, like we'll have a whole podcast about like free agency and draft and stuff. But if Puna Ford essentially becomes your your Brian Monet backup or your your Brian Monet replacement, like boom, now you've got two nose tackles because you want two because it's you you don't want to put too much on them. But there's no way that if they return Al Woods, which I'm sure they will, there's no way they won't have both Al Woods and Puna Ford out there on the field together on the first string. Like, is it a matter of swapping them? Is is Puna your first string nose and Al Woods is your first string three technique? Because Al Woods can play three technique just fine. Sure. Do they just swap those, let Puna play fast, a fast nose, and, and Woods be a big slow three? um like uh, like alan branch of old or even red bryant you know playing a little mm-hmm. four eye i don't know alan, alan branch that is a pull <laughs> i'm proud of you griff good point. Uh, but good i mean play. like but, Very but, good point, but, yeah. but but like that's kind of the point right that's how they've had good run defense just by going like drafting day three or undrafted free agents or going signing alan branch Tommy rubin tony mcdaniel you know, Al Woods for a million dollars every year. They'll, they'll go find, they can go find another million dollar guy. They can play around. They can probably cap, cap cut Shelby Harris, try to bring him back for a few million. Um, By the way, real quick, fun fact, at least fun for me, Alan Branch and I are from the same town. Really? Wow. Well, I'm not from there, but I lived there for like 10 years, Rio Rancho, New Mexico. About that. Shout out to Alan Branch. Shout out to Rio Rancho. How says he's that? from Albuquerque. Well, if you look at Wikipedia, it says that he was born in Rio Rancho. Uh, and Rio Rancho is literally right outside. He of just Albuquerque. went to high school in Al- Albuquerque, Matt. You, you got to read up on your Allen Branch. There, there you go. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, anyway, whatever. I see English shower. Wikipedia disagrees with American. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Someone's just editing it away. He he went to he went to Cibola High, which is basically in Rio Rancho. It's like on the border of Rio Rancho and Albuquerque. It's like right across from the Cottonwood Mall, which is like five minutes away from the Rio Rancho border. So get owned. Um, How many two. Did he win? Two? Because he, he was on the, the Patriots, Patriots, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. To to oh, answer, and he lost in uh, uh, Super Bowl. Against the uh, Steelers with the Cardinals. Oh, uh, to to answer uh, John Omaitad's question, Bryant famously played five technique, right? He so he played the big end in their old scheme, so he played four I four and five. 
and he probably split his snaps evenly across all three. But that would be in base personnel when they're it's a neutral down, so it's, they're not right. expecting pass, they're not expecting run, and then also in run downs. So, um, the old scheme it was he'd basically play um, to where the open B gap was. Um, yeah, he he'd be paired with the nose. Yeah, and like the nose. And, yeah, and whatever the front, uh, John O. My Todd. And whatever the front, um, they could reduce him down. So, like, if you if the if you're playing on the outside shoulder of a tackle as the five tech, right? Well, then if they keep running it up the B gap, then don't play in the C gap. Reduce him down. Uh, buy time yeah. for people behind. Uh, right. He was just a movable mass. So, yeah, his best work came as like a four tech or four eye, really. I think, but you'd have to yeah. go back. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. Um, and we and we, I mean, we kind of saw some of it this year. They would, they did. It was like a check, but it was just minimal. Well, the 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 end of the year, the three four under look was with the weak rotated three. Yeah, was that yeah, yeah, yeah but without yeah. without the without all the tools and all the good stuff. Um, so we had a question a bit earlier from Five O Nine Adventures saying, if you were the D coordinator, what would you change and do? Uh, so. I think it's worth mentioning that this was Clint Hurt's first year as a play caller. And I do think there was elements of naivety at times where it's very easy to nitpick play callers and hindsight is also very useful. But like as we've said, as we've alluded to, there was certain things where you're like, why are they doing this and this down and distance? Like just just you know, play more honest. Don't um you don't need to cheat towards a, a certain pass here. And obviously they they have all these tendencies that they've studied, all these game plans. They they know much more. They have more information than we have, but still, like they, it did feel naive at times. Griff, is that fair? Uh, I mean, uh, uh, whether it was naive or not, they were underprepared. So right, you know, yeah. Uh, and as Pete phrased it, too many concessions made to the pass. So I think what we do is kind of a blend of twenty twenty one and twenty two, but in twenty twenty one. They still had the stuff that they do in 2022. They just did less of it, and they didn't have the type of cover three that Seattle did. But right. really, it's about trying to get back to more of the 2021 concepts and options uh, while still keeping the good elements, like the past stuff that we spoke about. Um, the thing with the past stuff as well is it's not. I'm not sure, like. They didn't do great EPA wise anyway, but also I'm not sure how real it is because a lot of teams didn't need to pass that much on Seattle, so you kind of have that right. at play as well. Right, um, that's a good point. But we'll, we'll see. Yeah, it's it's got to be like a kind of a blend, and there's no reason that, as Griff said, there's no reason that Hurt doesn't know how to do that. And obviously, uh, Pete Carroll is very widely experienced. But um, yeah, Griff, are, are you on the same lines as me? Or I, yeah, no, I agree. I mean as far as like front usage goes like i don't know meet in the middle like you know with if 11 personnel is the biggest problem and they reduce the cut it in half can you just can you cut it by a quarter can you cut it by you know a third instead of instead of it being 40 instead of dropping from 43 percent to or whatever 42 percent to 23 percent bear usage against against 11 personnel can you drop it down to 33 percent you know like just play with the numbers you know, especially, or do you focus it super hard on first and 10 
stuff the run and then you can trot out your over g front against second and eight instead of second and four right um is, is it yeah. simple as that but then also the one thing we specific that we absolutely have to see is you got to bring back your your fire zone calls you got it you can't be static in either of the fronts but like against 12 personnel they would they had some even in bear they had some gap scheme issues power counter issues because they're just sitting in that front and the c gap is getting hammered uh, yeah, and and that's that was the major difference. I mean, aside from like, oh, they're running more four down, not five down looks. The main difference was watching games through and tape back. There was very rarely proactive solutions and way, ways of protecting issues that would then arise. Whereas the year prior, there was so much of that, uh, especially as the season went on. The second half of the season, they had a lot of tools to help themselves out and move the weak point around, which is what calling defense is. Yeah, um, all right. I, I don't think it can be overemphasized. Ken Norton Jr. did so – I mean, he's, he had so much scheme. Like, he was uh, – people called him vanilla. He was incredibly multiple. And, like, the way I would characterize his whole arc in Seattle – and I didn't always agree with it. Like, we were critical at times in 18 and 19 – but like 2020, like especially the first half of 2020, actually, I thought he did a good job in 18, but like the first half of 2020, he wasn't optimizing the big picture, right? Like they aren't this, this past year, but like the tactics still worked, like it achieved the main thing anyway. But the way how I characterize Ken Norton Jr. is that he was a problem solver. He had schematic answers off of his base looks that, that were very pointed in attacking a schematic weak spot that revealed itself on tape or statistically. I mean, he was very like to the point yeah. about that. Whereas this season, Seattle kind of, it was very jarring because Seattle kind of just had their things and they just it was, didn't. It um, was passive and vanilla. This year was passive and vanilla. And it did but come again, across almost arrogant at times. Yeah. In a but, way, in a different way to, uh, yeah. What people but, would but, have But like, as, but it's only fair to like, still like, even though like, you know, we'll see what translates next year, but, but Clint Hurt being the DC, Pete being the head coach, Carl Scott and Sean Desai, they still deserve credit for getting the back seven like up to date fast and turning it around fast and and still being able to endure, you know, the the the, the season long picture there. Because um, I don't they did I do not think they thought that was going to be their starting five in the secondary at all. Um, and you know the numbers. All right. Cover three, rush four, rush four, cover three. They were literally first, not just from week six through 18, but the whole season in EPA per drop back in cover three. Like that, if nothing else, that just insinuates that they, they have talent. They have raw talent, and they were on their P's and Q's for a lot of it. Not all of it, but for a lot of it. But that's a staggering number, and it didn't necessarily feel that way. But that number still is what it is. Yeah. And Mike Jackson is only 26, turned 26 January 10th. So there is youth at the left corner spot as as well as the right corner and nickel. Yeah, and um, and experience too. So even irrespective of age, my, yeah. it's his first year starting, right? First right, year right, really right. Playing. Yeah. Uh, so I guess that's the review. Um, Ty, yep. questions? Um. What your you guys, your questions? Oh, my questions. Yeah, yeah. Um, what didn't we explain properly? Hmm. What do you want to know? I think you covered everything that I wanted to know. I wanted to get into the numbers of the four two five versus bear, all that stuff. Um, 
yeah i think i'm good i think i think you guys got everything for sure right Um, so we have one thing that we need to okay there you go all right yes there we go Devo, so, we saw your kind donation, but we were like getting into the weeds of a different topic. And Ty and I have actually talked about this in the previous episode. But thank you so much for the donation. Devo asks, "Hey guys, what do you think of Mel Kiper's mock draft? Go Hawks! Go Hawks! Well, we talked about this on yesterday's episode, Maddie. That's what I just said. Yeah. So yeah. And also, you guys give... talked about this in yesterday's episode." Right. Yeah, we, what, we talked about this what in I, yesterday's that's, episode. That's what I just said. Yeah. Right. Oh, but Griff, you, oh, I was just saying also though. Griff, yeah, have yeah. you seen have you seen basically uh our uh, short summary was if there's a quarterback they really like enough to take up five, then they should probably take him. But mm. realistically, um, you know, blah 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 blah. Um, realistically, I'm upset by that mock draft. Realistically, Drew Locke is Drew Locke is toolsy. Um if they want a toolsy developmental guy, it's probably Drew Locke if they can get him re-signed. But then if they like someone way more than that, then take them. And then Brian Young. Griff, have you watched him? You say Brian Young? My voice cracked. No, By- Byron Young. Byron. Oh, sorry. I'm, I'm Byron just, it's, it's late. You it's mean late. Bryce Young? No, but no, we mean who Mel Kiper mocked the Seahawks at pick, whatever it is, 20, is it? Oh, I didn't see that. I only saw five. Ten- ten- Tennessee oh. Edge. Oh, God. He's 25 years old, and he's not. He's like a fourth-round pick to me. Even if he was 21, he's a fourth-round pick to me. And he's a super senior. So he's exactly what the Seahawks no, would take. No, he's not, he's not just a, he's a super-duper senior. The guy's and, 25 years old. Yeah, and, and Griff, he had, uh, he had a few sacks last year, seven and a half. That's Seahawky. They like sack totals. I would love him in the fourth round. Mm. Not at 20 overall. That's insane. That is insanity. Devo, I liked how it felt they it felt like Kuiper had tried to do it slightly different. And it had elements of Seahawky thinking, even mm. though it was kind of Seahawky thinking to the max. So to a fault, yeah. Yeah, and probably not, but um I only want I only want quarterback at five if they're not gonna pay Gino. Don't 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 double up your your top end resources at quarterback. If you want to hedge or you like a guy, wait till the second round and if they're not there, so be it. I need to watch the quarterbacks, but <laughs> Griff, are you team receiver at twenty? I think so. And if, yeah. if 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 one of the big three aren't there, then go Michael Meyer, Michael Mayer, whatever. Yeah. Because, I mean, he's effectively a receiver in the sense that that's you're throwing the ball at him a lot. 14 what, what, personnel. What, what about Kincaid? You like Kincaid? I, I think he's a I, – yeah, I do. But he's small, right? Mm-hmm. And he's more of a true, like, flex. And I don't – depends on how well he can block. I feel like Michael Mayer would, like, force them into, like – like uh like waldron getting into more like certain type of dropback concepts that i kind of want to see gino just cook in i think like we'll get again we'll get into this with the offensive review but i feel like there's a whole world we haven't seen yet um from gino and i want to get into that world but also uh addison would kind of get you there as well so with jsn so whatever yeah. say flowers um yeah I think we're all of the mind, just going back to the quarterback thing, that the year that 
the kind of unknown year that you could have from a rookie isn't really worth risking when yeah. Gino was so damn good for that stretch. And like, you can probably believe that that was real. It's just about, I mean, we talked about this yesterday, Devo, but like pass pro regression, run game regression, receiver yeah. injuries, uh, defense being a joke. Like those things were what really harmed the offense, not Gino's uh, level of uh, process, at least, even though his production dipped. But it, those those reasons are very relevant. So, yeah. Well, but if they take a guy at five, then you know that th- that's a guy they feel can probably start immediately. So then it's well. But at that they point, they they would have they would have signed Gino by then <laughs> or not. Right. right. Which is if... why, like, is the Gino situation is very interesting. But. Um... Yeah. Just the fact that he's so have one year production guys, and he is going to be thirty three in October it, and all it, that. It's an entire other podcast, but there, if 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 Gino like the first thirteen weeks is and I tweeted this, but if the first thirteen weeks is the quote unquote real Gino, then that efficiency eclipses the efficiency of like more than half the guys making over forty million dollars a year, and if you're getting him at thirty million dollars a year then they still have a cap advantage that other teams yeah. don't that's what just... i meant i mentioned the cap advantage yesterday yeah yeah like like you see there's it's still cap add. efficiency here yeah and then and then it's offset anyway by the uh the surplus picks getting you rookie contracts at other key positions it literally adds up to the same thing it's incredible the biggest thing here is that it's incredibly rare to have a quarterback paying a quarterback and still picking high in the draft. And they only have that from the rest trade. So they have a very unique situation and normal cap analysis doesn't apply here. I don't think. Yeah. That's good that you mentioned that. Right. Because like the thing that I'm seeing a lot on social media is like, well, you can't pay a quarterback. Right. Because like, you know, historically speaking, none of these teams are paying quarterbacks and they're winning super blah, 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 blah. But it's also like, you're not paying at other premium positions. So you have booking right. tackles that are both on rookie contracts. You have, you know, pass rushers right. that are, right now are not making a ton of money. Like, and you know, you're going to have another fifth round pick coming up and then another 20th pick. And then yeah, two more yeah. guys in the top 30 or 40. Yeah. So, yeah. It's just a completely different circumstance for normal cap analysis. Yeah. So there you go. That's all to come next week. And one one last thing. The cap is going up by 20 million next year. So 30 million is going to be even cheaper than it was otherwise. Kick that can down the road, baby. Next week, we will have Senior Bowl stuff because the Senior Bowl is on and we will hopefully be able to watch that virtually. The draft finally starts now. It's draft season. We will have an offensive re- review at some point. Maybe Dino will be paid. I don't. By that point, we'll see. We'll see how That'd we work neat. it all out. That'd be cool. It would be cool. I, I, that would they, be cool. They, they they should do that before free agency starts. Yeah, probably a good idea. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But until then, follow the podcast at Seattle Overload. Get notifications on so you can see when we're going live or saying we're going to go live and then come in an hour later. Follow Griff at C Mike Spin Move. Follow Ty at Dane Gonzalez. Check out his Locked On Mariners interview with Jerry D. Old Jerry D. Jerry D. Uh, check out my Substack Seahawks on Tape, where there will be draft stuff as well. Will Anderson, Jalen Carter article coming. Griff, what work are you plugging? Don't say back tweets. Um, 
like erratic World War One or tweets responding to World War One documentaries. Gotcha. Thank so the, the the name of that quickly the the name of that documentary I couldn't remember was uh, the first World War and it's on Amazon Prime. I originally watched mm. it on YouTube, but they took it down. So I'm rewatching it. It's really good. Don't so, start World Wars, by the way. Don't do that. Yeah, that's I, our um, advice for the show. Um, I'm gonna watch this film on Netflix called um, Narvik, which is a a Norwegian film uh, mm-hmm. about one of the I think it's like t- technically the Nazis' first world war ii defeats um mm. where the norwegian army uh f- for the, the the nazis uh it's norwegian language so mm. yeah i'm i'm looking forward to that i like i like a bit of subtitles they're more immersive is that so, weird so no. one last one last thing we need to talk about here right maddie's met pete i've met jerry griff needs to meet someone now who, who do you want to meet griff alan robinson how about Matty Brown and, and Ty Dan Gonzalez? Oh, oh. 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 in person overload? What? Wow, whoa, wow, is that even po- is that even allowed? Is that legal? I um, make it legal, yeah. Make it. yeah, yeah. Oh, no, now they're I got my new passport, oh, two yeah. co hosts. Uh, You've got your passport? Yeah. I need to re-up my passport. Yeah, I, I did in, that. I mine expires it. in June. Oh, you should re-up it. I should do that, yeah. You get yeah. re-upped. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I should do Yeah, yeah, I should do that. There you go. Absolutely. Right. Okay, until next time, thank you, everyone. Five-star review, like, subscribe, download, comment. <laughs>